from the vault. High atop the pastoral center of the Diocese of Camden, you're listening to Talking Catholic. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Talking Catholic Time with your co-host, Marianela Nunez and Mike Walsh. How are you, Mike? I'm doing great, Marianella. Uh, we, uh, you know, for, for our listeners, we're recording this on Thursday, December 17th, where we've just had the first recorded record snowfall in 1,001 days in the Philadelphia area. First notable snowfall in 1,001 days. And I was so happy while it was first snowing and then it turned to sleet and rain and then I wasn't happy anymore. But it, I, got about a couple <laughs> of, I got a couple of hours of snow and I was very happy with it. Wasn't it so beautiful to see the snow falling and, you know, being able it, to um, just be home with a cup of coffee? It really was. I, I am I am definitely a winter guy, not a summer guy. And uh, as you can tell from my complexion, I'm a winter. The um, <laughs> But it, it is, uh, it, it, I, it, I was so excited. I, I was at work when the snow hit and they, uh, they let us go early. And that was, I love driving home in the snow. I love everything about the snow. Everything about it. I, I, That's I, weird. You love driving in the snow? Oh, yeah. I love driving in the snow. I don't like driving with other drivers in the snow, but I love driving in the snow. It's, uh, it's a blast for me. That's a skill, you know? It is. <laughs> the, um, the, anyway, so, uh, Marinella, it's, uh, when we have you on, we always know it's going to be one of two topics, and uh, today it's schools. And uh, we're very excited about that because we haven't had a schools podcast in quite some time. Um, and we haven't had our guest uh, here since I think end of September, beginning of October. And I think it's a good time to, to chat about uh, Catholic schools again as we're final, uh, you know, coming to the end of uh, the 2020 portion of the school year, about to jump into the 2021 school year next year. And we'll be, be having Catholic schools week at the end of January. So um, well, I'm always very excited about that. So uh, it's good times. Time, yeah, right? we haven't we haven't done anything uh, in the podcast, but as you know, we have been uh, very hard in the school's uh, office to make sure that our children continue to be educated uh, in the Catholic school tradition, in person or remote, uh, whatever you know we can do to keep that education going and uh, moving forward. So it's it's been uh, a really Bless you to actually see what we're doing. It's it's kind of like quite impressive. I feel very proud of our schools and uh, of the office these days, Mike. Yeah, I know. It's we, we haven't had anybody on from the schools department or really schools in general. It's because everybody's so busy, which is always a wonderful thing thing to see. But it's also you know shows a lot of the success in our schools. So um, you know, amidst all the COVID and everything like that. So Marinella, do you want to introduce our our beloved guest? Of course. And uh, so today we have with us our uh, superintendent of schools, Dr. Bill Watson. It's always great to have him on our podcast and uh, we are happy to welcome him back. Welcome, Bill. Uh, thank you, Marinella. And uh, thank you for the very, very kind welcome. It's great to be here on the podcast uh, again. We, we and, love to uh, have you. As anyone could tell, the, the one upside of a thousand, the first snowfall in a thousand and one days is we are all remote today. Uh, so we're, we're doing this as a Zoom call, so you may notice our sound quality is not what I usually prefer, but uh, which is such a shame because, as everyone knows, uh, Dr. Watson has a voice for radio. He's got he these does. deep, he has these great, we, we, we use him for radio, when we have to record radio ads, we use them all the time. And I must say, Zoom does not do it, give him any credit, but it's still wonderful to have him on, regardless of how his voice sounds. 
<laughs> well, th- thanks, Mike. Your face for radio still also comes through on Zoom, though. I just want to make sure, you know. Very, very true. Very true. The, yeah, for, for, for the listeners who haven't looked at Mike's face, I, I guess the reference you, you just said about you have a snow or winter face, it's about the white hair or something, Mike? <laughs> yes, there's a lot of white hair on it, too. That, that certainly makes it uh, a winter as well. The, um, at any rate, uh, Bill, it's uh, always great to have you on. And, you know, the, the first question I think we're going to ask, you know, is we've sort of, we've had, we had you on a couple of times in the summer and uh, you know, early in the, the school year um, to talk about schools, mostly to talk about schools in COVID times. So I guess my, my first question to you, and obviously I know the answer to this question, but for our listeners is how are the schools doing? Uh, the, the schools are doing great, Mike. Uh, we, uh, today is the 68th day of the school year. And uh, usually in mid-December, we don't have that count, uh, at least I don't, uh, day by day. But we're in this, you know, very unique situation this year where uh, each school day is, as it always is, a blessing. And I think we appreciate that blessing more than ever um, because we're able to gather, uh, most, of, most of us are able to gather in person um, to learn. And, and where we took that for granted before, um, we truly appreciate it. Uh, more and more uh, this year. On the other hand, each one of those days, I think each of us is happy to see end um, <laughs> because we because that means that's another day that we've done it. That's another day that we've had the kids in school safe and healthy and learning. Um, and the um, the the extra effort and the uh, the added uh, efforts and maybe even. Uh, level of exhaustion by the end of the day, certainly for the teachers and for the principals and for the students themselves uh, has passed for that day. So, so we're sort of happy to see it end, but then look forward to the next day to get together. Well, I'll tell you what's nice is the three of us all have kids in Catholic school at various grade levels. And um, I, uh, I left mine. Mine is in remote learning today because uh, they made the decision when uh, it was looking like it was going to be fairly substantial snowfall they were like, well, you know what, let's just move to remote learning for a day, um, a half day of remote learning so that the kids could still have fun in the snow. And um, and what what I tell you, I was truly impressed with it because uh, my son, Jack, was able to make that change like that. He was like, my my wife went over to him. She go, he says, uh, no, don't forget, Jack, your class has started. He said, Mom, I know exactly what I need to do. Don't worry about it. And uh, it was great because because uh, he's God bless him. He has been in school every day, hasn't missed a single day of school so far this year. And um, but all of it has been in school, um, which I think he I think he I will admit that early on in the in the spring of last school year, he did truly seem to enjoy um, pajama wearing every single day while he was in class. But um, but being in school around all of his friends has really been been great for him this year. And uh, but having that knowledge of how to switch back to remote learning was was kind of nice. So it's you know, it's, which I think, as I recall, you know, that was one of the, the benefits of everything that we went through. I mean, sort of a, it's called a silver lining of everything we went through is all the parents, all the schools, all the teachers seem to be very prepared to make a, a rapid change to remote learning if, when necessary. Yeah. 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 And we've and we've done that, Mike. So um, certainly today, a lot of schools, uh, perhaps to the the students and the parents uh, chagrin or dislike (laughs) are actually still in session because we can be. Um, But we've also, uh, for other reasons, had to um, 
uh, transition to remote temporarily at a couple of schools. So i uh, just give an example. One, uh, in one case, we had a, um, an individual who uh, had tested positive for COVID uh, and, and had tested positive for COVID due to a contact outside of school, I want to emphasize. It was not you know, a contact in school. But because that person had, uh, was a potential close contact of mul- multiple people in the, and multiple teachers in the school, um, you had a number of teachers who were out. In the, in the middle school. And so all grades six, seven, and eight transitioned to remote. And uh, they did it sort of, they turned on a dime. And uh, everybody knew where to be the next, the next morning. They logged in live at 8.30 or maybe it was 8.20 at that particular school. And uh, they went to their classes, you know, one, and this was middle school. So they, they sort of like logged out of one class and logged into the next because they went from reading to math and then to social studies and so on. And the transition was, really smooth for that school uh, and for all the schools that have had to do something, uh, something similar. Um, so part of the, the, the reason that they're able to do that um, is that after last year, we, you know, we learned a couple of things after, you know, last March, one of which was if we're, if we have to be remote for any reason uh, temporarily, we want to make sure that it it follows the school the school day as much as possible. Now that varies a little bit for a first grader than it does for a seventh grader or a high schooler, but we want it to follow the day, keep to that schedule because we learned that that schedule is so critical. I mean, we knew this, but we didn't quite know how to do it. To your point, we didn't quite know how to do it in, in remote. So, um, but but that school day is so critical. The structure, the uh, what time is math? You know, what are the what are the routines for the younger kids? Looking at looking outside at the weather, saying prayers at the at the regular time, you know those routines. And so we're able now. Every one of the schools, having learned that from last year, uh, has kind of ramped up their uh, internet capabilities um, to be able to uh, uh, utilize both the hardware at the school, but also the uh, infra- the infrastructure of say a Google Classroom or a Google Meets um, to have those live classes. And so that's what's happening today across the diocese where kids are sort of transitioning uh, right away to kind of logging in live. And the teachers, uh, I think they've made the most dramatic uh, changes of all and really to their great credit, they have learned how to use those software tools and invite kids into the classroom remotely because we do have parents who's chosen a remote option for their kids. And so for the whole year, you know, they, maybe the, the, the children or someone in the home is a particularly high risk for, uh, for COVID, for complications from COVID. And so they want to really be as conservative as they can in, in protecting the health, health of, the, of, the, of the, that person, whether it's the child or their parent or somebody else. Anyway, so they're at home on, on remote. And so what the teachers have been doing from the beginning of, of the year is teaching simultaneously in the classroom, sort of with the camera on. So imagine yourself kind of at the front of the classroom um, with, you know, 15 kids in front of you. And then there's your computers on your, your podium and there's five kids, five kids faces on the podium. So now managing, you know, who's in the classroom and who's online and then making sure that the assignments that are distributed, if it's, you know, a hard copy of something, making sure that the kids at home have a copy of it or transitioning so that everybody does it on a computer where we're fortunate enough to have one to one uh, devices. So the teachers have made this tremendous change with, with, uh, with so much effort and, and they're doing just a remarkable job of it. I mean, that's a very, I mentioned before, 
it's exhausting at the end of a day. And that's, that's what part of the reason why. Um, and so because of that, and the teachers are, are so nimble with, uh, with all of the technology and the transition to remote that the student, they're able to tell the students exactly what's needed from them. And the students can, can, uh, can kind of follow suit. I can I can talk about that a little bit just because you uh, mentioned you know how the the, the teachers are teaching uh, remotely and in person at the same time and I've had the experience of both uh, because of uh, myself having to quarantine um, a couple of times just to make sure that you know uh, there's no COVID around and to protect everybody else in the school and and at work. I've been uh, sort of like working from home and doing uh, the remote learning experience. And, you know, I can say that uh, the teachers are doing such an amazing job to make sure that the kids that are on remote are really part of the experience. And, uh, you know, my, my five-year-old who's in kindergarten at Resurrection, um, it's able to say, oh, we have to be remote. Oh, I, I know how to do that. I, I totally know how to do that. She's so confident. <laughs> and, you know, we get all the, the resources from school that, that she needs, and she's able to work simultaneously with the class doing what they're doing and participating. So it's fun to watch, you know, the teacher ask questions about the lesson that they're doing and the other kids are responding. And then my daughter, Mariana, would be responding uh, when she's prompt to, to respond. And the other kids are able to listen to her and say, hey, Mariana, that was great. Or, you know, it's, it's kind of like uh, something that a lot of people thought was impossible that teachers, because of their commitment and uh, their work are really making it happen. So it's, it's really impressive. Yeah, you know, I've uh, it really is. I've been in the, the schoolroom uh, visiting a couple of times for work, where I've seen that um, the interaction of having the laptop on the podium, and it it's mind blowing in, in many regards. But um, at the same time, I, I really like the, the seamlessness that they've been able to do it. Bill, do you, do you have a sense, you know, in terms of you know, grades and, you know, quality of curriculum have you, do you have a sense yet that um, all of the, all of the um, guidelines have been put in place so that we can have um, school and these remote learning options? Do you have a sense yet that the, uh, the quality of the education is, has maintained itself versus, uh, you know, the old days? Um, Yeah, we do. We, we, um, the, the, I would say for the in-person students, the uh, well, let me just sort of state, you know, sort of state our preference, you know, or our, our position. At the beginning of the year, um, we made a, a commitment. Actually, at the end of last year, based on feedback from parents, that we wanted to have students in school as often as possible for as long as possible, as long as we could do it safely. Mm-hmm. And and I could talk to the safety part about it, um, you know, uh, next if you like. But but that was the commitment, and part of the commitment to that was, uh, on the one hand, uh, certainly the parents were were um, very much desiring that, um, and I think part of the reason for that is that it's generally understood that in person learning, particularly for the younger students, uh, is preferable to uh, to remote learning. I mean, remote learning is a workable emergency application. And it's I, I, like we've said, you know, it's it's to the great credit of all involved that that they've been able to uh, to implement remote learning, like you said, as quickly as possible. 
Uh, on the flip side, I, I think that uh, teachers agree and parents uh, probably agree that in-person learning uh, is really the best, not only because, um, you know, of the, of the uh, just kind of being in that environment is less, less distracting. It's more academic, if you will. That's a little bit intangible. Uh, but a lot of students need a lot of scaffolding, you know, and the, which is an educational term for uh, guidance. <laughs> uh, they need they need somebody to kind of help them understand, you know, this this is what we're doing now. They need that structure, and that structure really situates them well for um, for learning. As I said before, we've we've replicated that fairly well. I think about as well as you can in a in a digital environment, but it only goes so far. So I so I would say. Um, that by and large, the in-person experience has been on par with what we, uh, what we have experienced, or what we, what we, what parents have expected, and the remote uh, experience, I think, has been far better than it was last spring. Even though we got very, very good responses from parents at how well we did last spring, uh, and I think it is about as solid as it can be in terms of uh, the academic experience. To be very honest, I think it depends on, you know, there's there's a lot more variables if you're learning remotely. So if you're at home and you don't have a clear um, distraction-free space to work, that's going to impact your, you know, your academics. If your internet connection is not reliable, that's going to in, uh, impact your academics. Um, and then there's this, those intangible things, the sort of back and forth that happen between a teacher and students and the transition times when you might be taking a break that you don't get to take advantage of if you're in person um, that I think count, you know, I, I, we think, you know, every minute counts in a school, you know, we have such, such precious time with students that every minute counts. And if you lose some of those minutes, you know, maybe you'll lose some of the impact, but, but I, but I think again, you know, remote learning, if we have to do it, is a workable emergency solution. And that's one of the reasons why from the beginning we've said, again, if we can be in school safely, um, we will be because we do believe that in-person uh, learning for uh, most students uh, is better for them. Mm. Well, that's good to hear. I, I, um, I, the, the fact that so many students have been able to remain in class this year um, is really no, you know, is, is really owes all of its credit to the fact that the schools were, were able to open. And, uh, you know, I think a conversation we had early on was, you know, how quickly were the students going to be able to adapt to being in class again and the separation, the masks, the, 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 the um, barriers around the, the um, desks and, you know, as a, as a jaded person who has faith in very little when it comes to human beings, I wasn't so sure that it was going to go, how long it was going to take to go smoothly. I was stunned at how quickly the kids got used to it. I mean, Jack, I don't think even blinked an eye at it. Yeah, you know, it's, um, they just kind of stepped right in and, and, and got going. You know, I, I, the, the, the one thing we were all, we were all kind of um, concerned about was was the masks, right? So you know, masks are one of the you know we believe one of the most effective ways to uh, protect each other, and the mask largely protects others from you if you have the virus and you don't know that you have it, right? So, but we were worried, right, that that six year old kids were going to be tear grabbing at the mask, pulling it off, itching, like I can't do this. 
they have no problem. Most of them, right. Have no problem with it. I mean, you, you mentioned Jack, you know, I, I have a, a first grader uh, and two pre-K students and they put their mask on in the car on the way to school and it just stays on, you know, so that I think they're so adaptable that way. Um, and there are other rules too, you know, you're standing further away from kids in the, in the, in the line to the bathroom, you know, you're, um, you're in your seat more, you know, that's hard for kids. Uh, it's taken away. I mean, I think for the, te- the teachers have had to adapt the way they teach because one of the ways that, you know, learning is social, you know, you're talking to other kids, you're in a group with other kids. Well, we gotta be, we gotta be as far apart when you have to be as far apart from those kids as, as possible. That kind of takes away some of that. So the teachers have been, um, you know, really creative about getting the kids outside so that they can be in a group you know, and kind of talk a little bit louder and be, have the space to spread out from each other, but still be in a group. Um, obviously today would not be a good day for that. Um, but, uh, but they've been very, very adaptable and the kids have been, um, you know, extremely adaptable as well. And they've just kind of adapted to, I don't want to call it the new normal because I I'd like to think that it's the temporary normal, Mm -hmm. um, but they've adapted to the temporary normal, at least for what school looks like this year, you know, quite well. You know, I, I was thinking, you know, we, we talked a, a couple of times about the importance of being in school. And when a lot of the, the school shutdowns occurred in the spring, um, there was, on the part of governments, there was what I, what I felt like a, a rush to, to and a, a wise rush to shut them down because we just didn't know back then. And in the fall and winter, soon to be winter, as we've seen rises in cases in, in um, not necessarily in our schools, but in the outside world, uh, we've seen that um, most of the governments have been very reticent to shut down schools because I, I get I get the impression that it's even though you know bringing people together is considered um, something to you know we shouldn't be doing during COVID times that you know the it was outweighed by the importance of being together in school. Um, you know, from your perspective, you know, I think we always have this lingering thought, certainly New Jersey is New Jersey going to shut down schools again. And there, it seems to me like there really hasn't been uh, from the government's perspective anyway, a push to do that. Uh, yeah, that's right. So um, there, what we've now, I, I said, I, I keep saying to people that, you know, we didn't know how this year was going to go. Uh, and we were prepared, as we've talked about, for different options. And uh, what we've learned, and this is true in the South Jersey Catholic schools, and it's true in schools across New Jersey, uh, across the country, and you know, across the world, that schools do not appear to be places that are contributing to the spread of the virus outside of school. So... Um, we have said, I, I keep, I have said a number of times in this uh, podcast that we want the kids to be in school uh, or our goal is for the kids to be in school for as long as possible, so long as they can be safely. Um, and so there's really two things that would um, cause us to transition to remote, you know, temporarily for as long as we needed to. Uh, the first is if, is that if we had any evidence that uh, COVID was, um, uh, spreading within the, within the school, right? So, and and we work very very closely with the uh, local departments of health. So in New Jersey, the county department of health has uh, a great deal of um, authority to to uh, to help locally uh, schools and other agencies, you know, make decisions. And so uh, 
we work very closely. Every time that a principal is informed that someone in the school community has COVID, um, we work very closely with for contact tracing with the local uh, Department of Health and determine, do they know where they where they got it? Right. Do they is it is it clear? Is there a clear sort of line of, of contagion, so to speak? And we have not seen and we, well, I we have not seen that that line of contagion is in schools. If we had evidence that it that it was. And again, we have got the local. It's not just not us making that call. It's the local Department of Health saying, look, you don't have you have two cases, for example, where they don't know where they got it and they're both in school. So it's possible they got it from each other in school. One of them had it and somebody gave it to each other and somebody else in school. In New Jersey, that's considered an outbreak, right? Two, two or more cases where you don't know where, where, where it came from. And we haven't had that. So we haven't had that in our schools. What if we do, then I think that's, a, that's caused to transition to remote learning for two weeks, uh, 14 days, you know, so that anybody who may have contracted the virus, we, we would see it, the incubation period's over and, you know, and so forth. Um, so we haven't seen that. Uh, what we have seen is um, uh, we have seen people come to the uh, come to school with a uh, with COVID, uh, or they they sort of learn that they have COVID and they learn after they've already kind of been in school, and uh, then we work again with the Department of Health and we quarantine those people who are around them as a, as a matter of. Um, uh, a protocol is a matter of uh, recommended protocol and safety. Now, the interesting thing about that is that the kids for the most part are six feet away from each other and they're wearing masks and the teachers for that matter, but we still quarantine them out of what we might call an abundance of caution. And when we've seen that, we've tracked those quarantines as well. And we don't see that those people who are quarantined are getting COVID as a matter of having been you know, connected to, to one of the individuals in, in school. So, so as I mentioned in one of the cases where we had to transition to remote, we did that because a lot of people were close contacts, um, but none of them ended up getting getting COVID. But we, once you have a certain number of people out of school, then it kind of makes more sense to be remote because you have more people out than in, or the teachers can't come in. And that's the second scenario in which we would we would um, uh, transition to uh, to remote. So we we could either transition to remote if we did see evidence of spread. Um, or if it just became, there were so many cases around us that people got it at home from their brother, their sister, their mom, their dad, their cousin, somebody, and you had enough of those that there were so many people in the school community that, that it made more sense to, to be remote just to kind of, um, ease the pressure on the system, you know, that you can't get substitutes or there's too, you know, have more kids out, out of the class than, than in the class and so forth. And, and that's been our experience here in the, in the, in South Jersey Catholic schools so far. Like I said, that's been the experience, you know, there's good research um, that is, that is coming out about schools and um, schools, given the protections that we have in place, being safe places for students to be at, at this time and being safe places for students to be because of the mitigating factors. So for us, if we can provide these and because we have been able to provide these safe places for kids um, without putting too much of a strain on the system, you know, too, without having too many kids uh, out because they have to quarantine due to a contact outside of school or uh, teachers who have to quarantine due to a contact out of school or that kind of thing, then, then, like I said, we think we believe that in-person learning is is the best, and so we and so we pursue that. 
So we're going to keep watching that. We do every day. You know, um, we watch with those. We watch the, the, the COVID cases as they come in. We have those conversations with um, the local departments of health. And we monitor the, the pressure, frankly, on, on the system, on the teachers, on the kids who are, who are in school, on the parents and that kind of thing. And the principals make informed decisions based on those factors. And, so, uh, and thank you. Uh, I, I want to note that uh, we have another guest joining us uh, momentarily. But before we, we, before we bring him in, I have three more questions for you, uh, Bill, that I specifically wanted to, to talk about. Number one is when, when, when this year is over, is there any chance that the schools are going to track sick days uh, of this school year versus uh, past school years, just to see if we've noticed a drop in sick days because of all of the protections of nobody's getting the flu, nobody's getting the common cold? Yeah, I think there'd be a lot of, uh, I know I'm fascinated with that, with that stuff, right? So um, uh, I certainly think we'll have fewer sick days. we, we add people, and again, I, I want to sort of give credit to the parents. They are keeping their kids home when they're sick. You know, whether it turns out to be COVID, which in the majority of cases it does not, they're still keeping their kids home when they're sick. They have a sore throat. They have a runny nose. You know, so those things are kind of still happening. Um, so I don't know how that would work out. I think on the one hand, we would maybe see an increase in sick days next year because there would be more of that uh, going around. Um, but we, uh, but maybe we'd see a decrease because you wouldn't have as many sick days associated with um you know, really being uh, vigilant about about COVID. I will say that I think, you know, in the future, uh, you know, there are some things that we've learned about mitigating sickness in a school environment. You know, every year the flu goes through a school or two, or, you know, you have a stomach bug or something like that. You know, it's, I could see a future in which, you know, hey, it's not so bad to have the kids six feet apart from each other in the classroom. You know, it's yeah. not so bad to wear masks in the times when they're, they're close together, you know, um, because that, that, that keeps people healthy, you know, whether it's COVID or not. Um, again, I, that's, that's, we're a long way off from that at this point, but I'm just kind of throwing that out there <laughs> since you raised the question of sick days. Mike, um, just before you go to your second question, can I just add, like, you know, I, I have to say that Bill has become, uh, such an expert in the field of COVID right now. I think he could add that to his resume, <laughs> to his research, because we have so much data. He's a numbers guy and, and he's, you know, collecting all this data but I wouldn't be surprised if he comes up with a study regarding what happened in schools during like, you know, COVID times, because, you know, he's, he's done the work, he's done the research, kept the numbers and, and has all these data. So I just, you know, wanted to say that. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm already expecting that he's either going to write uh, an academic research paper or at least a white paper on it, because I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it from our, from our good doctor. Um, Two other things was uh, one: How has sports been affected uh, at the, both the elementary level and the high school level? I think I, I do think uh, winter sports at the high school level were were shut down by the state. But I'm I'm just curious what how do sports look like in the scholastically right now? Yeah, so the, the high schools follow the um, the direction of the New Jersey um, Athletic Association, the NJSIAA, um, interscholastic uh, sports. I always forget what the acronym is for, but they run the sports in the state. And so the high schools have followed that and, and they have very strict protocols for who can practice when, where, in what circumstances, how many uh, that were very helpful uh, for that. So at the moment, um, uh, sports are uh, shut down in uh, indoor sports are, are uh, shut down for uh, in New Jersey. And that, that took place in the it sort of took, took hold in the beginning of December. 
So um, we're waiting to see what that will look like, uh, you know, as, as we get to January and beyond. A lot of the sports were postponed to the spring. So I think we'll probably see, you know, those that can be done outdoors will be. Uh, maybe there are safer conditions to, for, the, for sports to be conducted indoors and that sort of thing. At the elementary level, um, we made the decision, the principals, uh, you know, collaborated on a decision early in the school year to say that we would, um, we allowed fall sports because they were largely outdoors um, to practice, but not compete because we did not want to have gatherings of cohorts from different schools come together. Uh, for winter sports, we postponed them. So uh, because they're, they're all indoors uh, in, in Catholic elementary schools and, you know, we are, they necessarily involve people running around in an enclosed space in close contact, right? No matter, I mean, think of basketball. I mean, it's very, it's a, it's a very physical sport. There's not, there's not social distance in basketball, in basketball, you know? So um, we uh, post, I, I think the, you know, we, we're, we're postponing hopeful that we'll be able to do some version of a sports season uh, for, for uh, basketball and girls volleyball in the, in the spring. And, and if we can find outdoor locations to do that so much, the better, we don't know what the condition of the virus will be at that point. Um, but they're, they're kind of on hold in a, in, in a word. Okay. And then my last question for you, Bill, before we bring in our, our second guest is um, spirituality. You know, um, that was something that I, you know, we're Catholic schools and our, our faith is one of the central points of, of what it is to go to a Catholic school. Uh, I'm just curious from a, from a faith perspective, um, both in the shutdowns in, or the, the switch to remote learning in the, in the spring, but including this year where, you know, gathering has been in large groups has been difficult. Um, how has... How has the spiritual nature of our schools been able to uh, to remain intact? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, and I would say um, it's sort of uh, on, a, on a on a very baseline level. It starts with prayer, and um, and that prayer in a Catholic school is acknowledging um, our dependence on God. It's acknowledging the presence of God in our in our classrooms and with each other. Um, and I, as I've said. Um, you know, wherever two or more are gathered in his name, he is there with us. And I think that, I think that counts for zoom too. Uh, you know, we're, we're gathered. I don't think that has to be a physical presence. You know, we're talking about God after all here. Um, so, so we start every day with prayer, uh, and, and every class starts with prayer. Um, and so we're able, able to do that. And the students who are remote are able to engage in that in prayer. Uh, we're, are, we're teaching religion and the religion classes uh, are often a place where um, uh, you have pretty good conversation among, among students, among kids about the teachings of the faith, you know, and those conversations, as you can imagine, look different for a second grade than they do for, a, for an eighth grader or a seventh grader preparing for confirmation uh, or a second grader preparing for first uh, uh, Holy Communion, but they're happening and they're happening in person and they're happening uh, virtually. Uh, the one thing I would say, too, is, you know, we believe the Catholic schools are communities of faith. We are faith communities and faith communities, we do believe, um, operate better in person. You know, I mean, kind of think of your own experience with mass um, being kind of in situ in the church in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament is different from attending mass online. Uh, so attending mass online 
is, is drawing you into the community in a way that's different from if you weren't at mass at all, right? So it's a good emergency solution. Uh, but we do believe that's one of the reasons why we're so um, uh, fortunate and feel blessed to be able to gather in community is that most of the students are able to just be in community with each other. And so that the, the spirituality and the, the Catholicity of the school comes through in the interactions. It comes through in the interactions that we uh, guide the students to have with each other. It comes through in the care uh, and for the students that the teachers have and their, and their interactions with them. Um, and so the teachers are able to have those interactions, of course, with students who are virtual, in addition to those who are in the classroom. Uh, but as I mentioned before, there's, a, there's that sort of presence of being in Christian community that occurs in the, in the classroom that's so important. And so I, I do believe that, that um, that's an important part of why I believe parents wanted their students in school. One of the important parts about why we um, continue um, to strive for that. And I, and I, and I believe we're, we've been able to maintain and, and uh, sustain that even in these times. That's great, but I, I tend to agree. I, I, I certainly miss. Uh, I certainly miss our school masses. Are always the things that one of the things that I enjoy going to is my job as a director of communication, live streaming, photographs, whatever we're doing there. So I do look forward to that coming back. But I am glad to hear that the the schools are still be able to maintain their spiritual nature even even in COVID times. And just to that point, real quick, Mike, some, the schools, uh, many of the schools are still having school mass. But what they're doing is, say, in September, the eighth grade attends live in the church. And everybody else watches the mass live stream, live streamed in their class. So they're not in the church, but they're experiencing it as, as a community. Uh, and then in, say, October, the seventh grade goes live. And then the sixth grade, then, you know, so and some of the schools are even in, uh, doing more masses than usual so that the, every every class can get in. So so they are finding ways to continue to, to uh, those traditions and those those important components of the spirituality. Well. And, and the other That's piece is that, as you know, like our faith in our Catholic schools is embedded in everything we do. So, you know, you can see it in, in the classes and, and, you know, what they do in, in religion as what they do in, in language arts. So like, that's what our teachers are about. Like, you know, making sure that the curriculum is permeated by our values uh, in, in a deep way so that the students do not only get to experience their faith when they go to mass, but it's part of what who we are as a whole. So Marianella, we have another guest with us today. And so we're gonna switch into some conversation about curriculum and then we're gonna end it with a little conversation on enrollment. But as we hit the curriculum stage, who is our who's our our newest guest? So uh, we had a surprise in store for you people who are listening to Talking Catholic today. And with us is Dr. Robert Lockwood, who is uh, the new director of curriculum and assessment for the Diocese of Camden and South Jersey Catholic Schools. Welcome, Robert. Thank you very much. I uh, Thanks for having me. I'm sorry I'm a little late. It's a odd day with weather and I have a 16 month old and my wife works from home and my in-laws are here trying to watch. So it's, uh, you know, listening families understand the challenges. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, you needn't worry. You've, you've worked with uh, Dr. Watson now for quite a while. You, you know, he's, he's got a, he, he knows how to fill some space. So, <laughs> So, um, so I guess, you know, from a curriculum standpoint, you know, our Catholic schools, you know, for years, it's been one of the things we've been able to sort of hang our hat on is um, the, the great curriculum that our Catholic schools have. Um, now, you you came to us from the lovely Diocese of Patuchen, um, who actually, in an irony, in about uh, 45 minutes, I'm going to be doing a podcast with their podcasters at the Diocese of Patuchen. So I'll, I'll be Gary. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but, um, you know, from a curriculum perspective, what's it been like this year, making sure that the schools were able to maintain the, the high level of, of learning that we expect? Yeah, thanks. I, I, something I'm mindful of is um, Bill said to me when I was first starting here, he said, you're getting on a moving train and we're, uh, we're going. And that's essentially what it was like. Um, uh, I, I'm grateful to say that a lot of the work uh, to prepare the schools for uh, uh, remote learning um, was a lot of it was in place. And I came in and, and helped them continue that work, uh, the great work. For example, I think one of the main differences was when we pivoted uh, schools overall toward remote learning in the spring, March of uh, 2020, um, we, we, we did it by the seat of our pants. In, in some cases, we were uh, doing the best we could and weren't sure what was happening or how long we were going to be out. So that left a lot of questions. Um, this time, I think we were far more prepared um, for the contingency of potential of being out. Um, and so we were able to provide enough resources to not just our teachers, but to our principals for the benefit of the students. Um, a lot of that involves uh, great professional development so that uh, teachers can provide the best learn uh, blended learning environment possible. Um, and so, for example, um, some schools and teachers in particular might have already been using uh, G Suite or Google Classroom, for example, or Schoology, some of those other learning management systems to help students and um, providing them with the, the content and the information uh, from their courses. Um, but some might not have been as comfortable with it. So it was a matter of making sure that they had all the resources they needed. So, for example, we invested uh, for all the teachers in something called Link Spring. Um, and that was an opportunity for teachers to get on um, their own time or in a school as a faculty meeting or in their uh, PLCs, their professional learning communities um, in order to uh, enrich themselves and learn more on their own time. Um, and it was, it's an online program um, and it has helpful videos of how to's on blended learning overall. So if you're doing, again, uh, maybe they're using Google Classroom or, um, you know, in many cases we had students, um, about 10% of students when we first started are remote across the schools. We had some schools with 5% of students. We had some schools with 25% of students who are remote. So that presented a challenge for teachers in trying to figure out how do I teach to the students who are in front of me in person and to the students who are joining uh, via, typically via Zoom or Google Meets um, and uh, trying to manage all of that. So we provided as much uh, professional development as possible for the teachers so that they could do that. And, and it's been difficult, we're not going to lie. Um, you know, the, I think the, overall the teachers, um, the, what I told a lot of them was, I said, pretend you're a first year teacher again, you have to learn things all over again. And um, for me, uh, my first year teaching, it was terrible. Um, and because you're learning and you don't know what you're doing necessarily. And, um, you know, you're writing lesson plans the night before and you don't know what's going to happen because you haven't experienced it before. So in some cases, our teachers felt like that and they were doing it because um, they didn't know. But I must say that um, they're hardest on themselves and they wanted it to be perfect because they wanted to provide the normal experience for the kids that they, they do in any other year. Um, so I know they put a lot of pressure on themselves. And a lot of times I had to say, just give yourself a break. We're, we're doing the best we can and you're doing fantastic. 
Um, and, and the parents agreed, you know, because we do quite a bit of surveys, as Bill can tell you, with families and, and what they think and how things are going. Um, and it, it's working out very well. So it's, I think that's a testament to our teachers um, and what they're doing. And, and back to linking this to your original question about curriculum, um, I think what's most helpful and that teachers, has teachers have expressed the work that Bill did prior to me coming on board when he was director of curriculum um, with the curriculum committees through the uh, ACE program in Notre Dame, um, they the, built the, the standards in the curriculum for each uh, content area so that it had the flexibility in order to um, adjust and adapt to remote learning um, in this environment. So I'm uh, you know, grateful to the, all the work those folks did and, and, and those uh, committees um, because I think that has also helped with, uh, with the success that we've seen overall. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm curious. Um, you know, oftentimes our curriculum, um, not that it's necessarily geared towards standardized testing, but, um, you know, it, it's, I know it, it, it not, takes a nod to standardized testing that, you know, we'll do for the Iowas and the SATs for, at the high school level. What is the plan for standardized testing in this school year, both at, at an elementary level and at a high school letter, level? Yeah, thanks. So we've been um, continuing our standardized assessment that we use. We use a progress monitoring tool called STAR. It's through Renaissance. Um, and that was implemented a few years ago. And this is actually the first year that it was implemented in grades one through eight um, before it was in um, a few different grades, two, three, seven, um, I believe, and maybe eight. But um, so we did it for all of the grade levels. And um, I had plenty of conversations with Renaissance, the parent company of STAR, the test that we uh, give. And um, one of the advantages of the STAR is that it's, it's for a class period. I mean, you're really talking about 20, 30 minutes for an assessment in math and then 20 or 30 minutes for assessment in reading. So that can be done during a class period. I mean, long days are, are past of um, the four or five hour tests where students have to sit all day. Um, and the great thing is that it provides, uh, even though it's shorter, these adaptive tests provide the same accuracy of uh, students' uh, knowledge base and uh, for that test. And so uh, we provided the test um, to all students in grades one through eight this past fall in uh, end of September and early October. So we had a few week window. And I had long conversations with the test company about the validity and the reliability of students who were taking the tests at home. Um, and I mean, what we essentially had to do is shift our thinking and saying that, well, these students are gonna be home, they're gonna be taking online assessments for their teachers, um, typically probably through uh, Google Forms, for example, some teachers are using that or whatever other method. And, um, the, the test is able to be given to remote learners, and it has been. So um, interestingly enough, there are whole lots of studies out there, and, and I'll call them projections when this all started, about this what we called the COVID slide is what it was termed, and this learning loss that was expected among students. And um, they were projecting that you know, students were going to lose um, far more information than they do when they are out for summer vacation, for example. Um, and so we, we wanted to find out, is that true or not? And um, we compared our data from the January of 2020 to fall of 2020 to look at students and how they did. 
Um, and we did see some differences, uh, primarily in the two, three, fourth grades, um, some of those primary grade levels, where uh, students, uh, particularly in the area of math, um, there, was a, there, was a, there were some differences. They didn't do as well as they had in the past, um, but we need to put that in some context. context. We had more students taking the test this time around, so um, we don't have data necessarily to compare for all students across the time. Um, it was a different environment. Um, some students were doing it remotely, and so we were, had to get some kinks out of that, you know, in learning how to do it. Um, and then do I think that we had some students who um, maybe struggled a little bit um, between some of the work that they did in the spring of 2020 when we were out until now. I think there's some factors of that as well. Um, but overall, the point was to get the information so that the teachers can use it to adapt their instruction for students and um, make sure that they were meeting their needs, what we call differentiation of instruction. Um, so while we did see differences, we can't necessarily say that that was completely due, due to COVID. Um, but more importantly, we're able to take that information and move forward. The teachers are able to use that. Um, and so what we're doing, we give the test three times a year. It's going to be happening again at the end of uh, January. And then we give it again in May so we can track their progress. Um, we are, we actually have just decided, you had mentioned Iowa, and that's been used for many years by the Diocese of Camden Catholic Schools. Um, we have just decided that we're going to suspend Iowa testing for this year, um, primarily because Iowa is a paper-based test. And it's a little complex, depending on what's going to be happening uh, related to COVID. Um, we do have a number of students, as I said, who are currently remote. Um, how do we give a paper-based test to them and ensure the integrity of it? That, that's a little challenging. Um, and so then do we give it to just the students who are in class? Eh, I'm not sure what that's going to really provide us if we can't do everybody. And then it's a real possibility that we could have some schools, as Bill had mentioned earlier, that might be out because they're quarantined or uh, we just don't, there's too many unknowns right now as it relates to what March of 2021 is going to look like. And that's when we typically give Iowa. So we're suspending it for the year. But as I said, the good news is we're still doing uh, the STAR assessment and we get a lot of great data from that. That's great. And at the high school level, is there any changes with SATs? No, actually, um, I was, I, I worked high school for years and I was an SAT coordinator and um, they continue to give the SAT and the PSAT in person. Um, and it's, you know, for the most part, um, all the information that I've seen, they've been doing it and they've been doing it pretty well. They haven't had any issues. They've had to um, continue the same practices that the schools are currently using, which is uh, social distancing and wearing masks and the, sh you know, the shields uh, in the classroom. So um, there's students are as safe as ever. Okay. Now, uh, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Luckwood. I really, I really do appreciate uh, all the detail. Uh, my son will be thrilled that he's not taking the Iowa tests. Um, <laughs> um, so, Dr. Watson, uh, in, with regard to enrollment, uh, we get questions from the media all the time that everyone flock to, to Catholic schools for, for enrollment. Um, but we actually have two things to talk about with enrollment. Uh, one, how is our enrollment doing? And two... Uh, who's leading our enrollment uh, processes? Sure. So I'll answer the first uh, first question first. Um, you know, all enrollment matters are mostly local, so they uh, 
you know, it, is it really the, the answer is it depends on the school. So we had some schools that really saw uh, a very big increase in uh, their enrollment this year, uh, we believe, and, and they've reported to us as parents have reported to them because they, they were parents who want, really wanted that in-person experience uh, for their students. And so there are a lot of people who were sort of uh, maybe on the fence about coming to Catholic school that, um, that provided, this, this provided an opportunity for them to come to Catholic school. And so uh, by and large, we hear from them that they've had a, a great experience so far. And so uh, now we're sort of working on the re-enrollment uh, for next year. And so um, that we uh, look forward to, you know, they've had a great experience. And so we look forward to them uh, kind of extending that. Uh, there are other schools that uh, capped their enrollment actually because of the size of their classrooms and the size of their class already. So they, you know, they had, they literally had to measure how many um, desks could be in the classroom. And so um, they intentionally capped their enrollment to balance um, the priority for, for parents who want to uh, Catholic education for their children with the priority for safety for everybody. So um, that's been a, that's been a balance. So um, looking forward to the re-enrollment period uh, this year. So uh, that gets to the second question. Uh, the Office of Catholic School does provide support for uh, enrollment. One of the areas where we have um, provided support, expertise, best practice, and so forth is in Latino enrollment. Our Latino enrollment has uh, increased significantly over the past several years. And uh, our very own Marianela, Marianela Nunez has been uh, spearheading that effort. And so uh, as of the beginning of, of uh, the next calendar year, so very, very uh, shortly here, uh, Marianella is uh, being promoted to Director of Enrollment and Outreach. So Yay. that she... Congratulations, <laughs> Marianella. And Thank uh, you. so... You get a whole new uh, list of headaches. Good, good job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, she's, she's so good with parents and... Um, and their enrollment needs and with communicating with principals about how best to walk with parents and their discernment. Um, and she's done that with uh, the Latino community. And so she's sort of leveraging that and expanding that influence over uh, all of the enrollment programs. So we're very, very, uh, very happy that she uh, accepted that additional challenge. That's wonderful, Mary. I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely uh, happy for you. Good job. I'm so excited with the new role and hoping that, you know, we can, increase enrollment and be over with COVID and, you know, get our schools full of students learning in the Catholic school tradition. So that's what we all want. And we want to keep our schools not only alive, but thriving, uh, you know, for many years to come. Well, I can't wait to see all the great work that you do. I, I know how great you've been with Hispanic enrollment, and I'm looking forward to seeing everything you do with enrollment uh, with all of South Jersey. So uh, thank you all for joining the podcast this week. Um, and to all of our listeners, thank you very much for, for tuning in, and we'll chat with you again next week. See you, everybody.